You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, as we come to your word, that you would indeed speak to us. Uh, but Lord, uh, where uh, it's apart from your word, uh, if it's edifying, Lord, help us to remember it. If it's not, Lord, help us to forget it. Uh, intervene in our lives and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so as I said last week, uh, I have there's no divine authority uh, for, for what I'm going to say. It's more reflections of what... Uh, I've experienced as uh, during this COVID time, and it's just a thumbnail sketch. I realize that you know some people in life are are floodlights, you know, where they kind of reveal they're almost vulnerable to an extent that you kind of go like this uh, when they uh, when they start telling you about themselves. Uh, but the Christian life is one that's marked by vulnerability, and we ought to be uh, open with one another because when we're told to bear one another's burdens. Uh, the only way that we're able to bear one another's burdens is if we know what the burdens are in the first place, right? And if we're all, as I said last week, if we're all just sitting around waiting for someone to ask for help, well, they're probably not ever going to ask for it. I know that that I, I won't ask for it. Uh, there's a close friend of mine whose uh, mother's last words as uh, she collapsed in the bathroom and had locked the door behind her, are you okay? And she responded with, I don't need anybody's help. And that's how she died. Uh, and uh, I think that most of us have a very hard time allowing people to help us in a hospital setting or if we're sick or whatever it might be. To actually allow someone to care for us is a great difficulty uh, in, in our culture. And you probably struggle with that uh, as, as well. Well, the, the little verse that I have on my mind as I've been walking through this is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, where, um, where Paul says in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself. And uh, that's something that, that we typically don't do. We, we, we don't keep a close watch on ourselves, And it's very hard for us to actually discern what it is that we're dealing with and why it is that we're responding the way that we're responding to things. Uh, Lauren and I will often engage in conversation uh, about people's sin, uh, especially our children's sin. And, uh, and as we work through that and, and, and talk to them about it, uh, one of the things that I've realized that for some reason I didn't realize it until um, later on in life was that, um, yes, all sin is sin, but there are actual sins that are a little bit more insidious than others. And those are the things that, are harder for you to see in yourself. So a thief, when they go and rob a store, never says with their hand in the till, wait a minute, this isn't my money. Uh, but what about pride? Uh, what about self-interest? Uh, what about uh, any number of other sins? We typically aren't able to identify those in the moment, are we? It normally takes somebody outside of us to say, hey. And when they say it, there might be a little bit of something in the back of our minds that says, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I knew that. Uh, so keeping an eye on yourself or watching yourself requires 
uh, other eyes. And if you read through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and, and elsewhere, you'll see that, uh, that Paul uh, was also keeping an eye on Timothy and was willing to go there with him uh, over those things. And it's clear uh, from 1 Timothy here in chapter 4 that, Paul, that Timothy was willing to be vulnerable to Paul as well. So when Paul says, do not let anyone look down upon you uh, because of your youth, or rather the way it's translated here in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, uh, is that that was one of the struggles that Timothy was articulating to Paul. How am I supposed to struggle to uh, pastor this congregation uh, when um, because of my, my age? And Paul has to remind him, it's not necessarily about your age, because I've met plenty of people who are very elderly but are still infants in Christ, and I've met people who are very young that are full of wisdom uh, and, and immersed in God's Word. But more than that, Paul says, remember that we laid our hands upon you and set you apart for a particular ministry. So it's not just keeping an eye on yourself, it's also keeping an eye on your teaching but in order for Paul to be able to give that word to Timothy, Timothy first had to be able to articulate it to him in some vulnerability. I think I'm too young for this job. And Paul responding here in chapter 4 to that concern. So keeping an eye on yourself. Well, what do I see when I keep an eye on myself? Well, during COVID, what happens when you don't like what you see? And by that, what happens when you don't like what you see about yourself? Uh, difficulty can bring out uh, the worst in us, can it? Uh, it seems that uh, I, I make all the, the staff, the program staff and the clergy staff, take a little battery of tests called the Berkman. Um, and the Berkman is, is not like Myers-Briggs. Um, because it doesn't let you, you know, you talk to Myers-Briggs people and they say, well, the reason why we don't get along is because I'm a this and, and you're a this. And that's just total nonsense. Uh, and that's just an excuse for not doing your job. But when it comes to the Berkman, the Berkman, the way that they phrase the questions actually does begin to catch you up and, and make you be on, and allows for some honesty and in some ways makes you be honest about your own self-assessment. Uh, and, um, and often what I like about it is that, you know, for all of y'all that do the Enneagram and all that kind of stuff, uh, the answer, you know, when they say this is what you are, you kind of step back and say, well, I already knew that. With the Berkman, it's actually not like that. It surprises you about some of the things about yourself and, uh, and is able to probe a little bit deeper. So we take the Berkman and... Um, and one of the things that I do that I like is it says that based on the test, in stressful situations, this is how you or the individual who has taken the test are likely to respond. Does that make sense? And, uh, and surely that's true during COVID. And so the, the, when things get difficult, some of those habits, some of those things that we deal with internally, when difficulty comes, it exacerbates those and amplifies them. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, so Lauren and I, the two have become one. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Goings, there's a pew for you. Um, uh, you know, something I didn't know about myself is when we go on vacation, for the first three days, I am a nightmare. 
I'm an absolute nightmare. And especially if it's a vacation where there are a lot of moving parts. Like you want to see me, if, if you ever have the desire to see Andrew Pearson at his worst, take me to Disney World and ask me to plan it out. <laughs> Guaranteed fail. Guaranteed fail. It's just not going to work. And so whenever we've done a family trip where we've traveled around and there's moving parts, Lauren is very gracious with me those first few days. And actually, as a result of that graciousness, I've now begun to realize I need to cool my jets the first three days and realize, yes, I've got some moving parts I need to manage, but we're on vacation and I'm with my wife and children. And that's actually where I need to be. I don't need to be over here worrying about this or where, you know, whether this is going to be done, but actually I'm with my family and it's going to be okay. And so in the same way, difficulty can bring out the worst in, uh, in all of us. And uh, I wonder what that's done for you. Uh, those things that, uh, that have been brought out in your character that you are now actually able to see because it's been so many months and you think, I don't like this about myself. And more than that, not just those things that lay lurking uh, underneath that are part of our personality or part of our uh, character. Uh, I've found that those things that were little struggles before COVID have become big struggles. It's, it's um, you know, I, I was, uh, I, long story involving Mick Jagger, I quit drinking years ago. And actually, Mick Jagger does have a part to play in that because he and I talked. I know. It's, don't you want to know the story now? But I'm not going to tell it because I don't have time. And um, uh, but uh, you know, I just realized I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. And it wasn't I was struggling. It wasn't that I was overindulging. It wasn't all of that. But it was just one of those moments where I said, I don't. I don't need this. I don't like the way that it makes me feel. I don't want to do this. And so I went for golly over two years without without drinking. And then COVID came along. And uh, I won't go so far as to say that I made up for lost time. Uh, but, you know, one of the first, uh, you know, after about a month of COVID, Lauren came running into the house and said, there's been a terrible accident at the end of the road. And I ran out and I, and I said, I, what accident? And she said, well, I, I heard a terrible crash. Well, it was the garbage men putting garbage bags in the back of the, 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 the truck full of bottles, right? Making this awful, terrible crashing noise. And so I knew that I wasn't alone uh, in, in, in this endeavor. Uh, but you know, all of us are finding things to provide an emotional crutch. And I think at this point, we're realizing that maybe those things aren't working. And, and maybe they're actually just sort of pasting over or papering over. Uh, the real issues, and I don't really want to go there in the way that I should probably go. And so I'm going to, to, to self-medicate. And it may not be alcohol. It may not be any substance. It may be withdrawal. It may be you taking and separating yourself from your family. Uh, it may be uh, you using work as an excuse. I mean, I know plenty of folks who, once the office opened back up, they couldn't wait to go back and just kind of get away from their family. And so all of a sudden, their arc of refuge, even if it wasn't alcohol or drugs or whatever it was, it was work. And it's the same problem, just manifested in a different way. 
And so I found that the little struggles that I had uh, before had become bigger struggles, and I was trying to figure out ways to cope with those struggles in a way that actually made them worse, uh, because it's not going to fix them. Another lesson that I've learned is isolation from others can cause us to believe in things that are not true. Uh, it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, and part of that, I think, is not just uh, fellowship, it's not just comradeship, it's, it's not just having someone there. It's having a sounding board. It's having someone to, to speak with. It's having someone to engage with. And I wonder if, um, you know, just as an aside, and uh, well, I'll, I'll put that aside. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But when we're by ourselves, uh, we're, we're much more likely to believe in things that we ought not to. Um, certainly about ourselves. Uh, you know, those sort of voices in your mind that, that tell you that you're not good enough and that you're a failure at this. Uh, COVID seems to have reinforced that. And when we're left to ourselves, it's hard for us not to begin to believe those awful things that we think uh, about ourselves. And not just the sin that is within us that generates that, but I think this is where the enemy, the devil himself, can get after us. And the way that the devil does this, and if you're reading Pilgrim's Progress, it is a really insightful thing that Bunyan says. Uh, Bunyan says that as Christian makes his way through the valley of the shadow of death, that demons are coming up behind Christian and whispering awful things to him. But Christian becomes confused and he can't figure out, is that me thinking that or is that the devil? And doesn't the devil do that? Doesn't the devil say something in our ears and sort of, you know, he kind of throws something in the back door and then he runs around the front and knocks on the door. And when you open the door, he says, aha, see, maybe your faith is not that strong. Maybe you're not the kind of Christian that you thought you were. And maybe you're not the Christian uh, that you ought to be. Or worse yet, which is where I probably struggle a little bit more. You're just a terrible person. You're not a good dad. You're not a good husband. You're, you're not a good pastor. You're not a good friend. Uh, all of those things, and, and it can be easy to come under significant conviction during this time in a way that is not just unhealthy, but is untrue. And so we need outside voices not to blow smoke, but to say, no, objectively speaking, you're my dear brother. You're my dear sister. You're my dear husband. You're my dear wife. You're a dear father. You're a dear mother. Whatever it might be, of course you're not perfect. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about objective facts about yourself. But above all, who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Martin Luther, Martin Luther had the devil knocking at his back door and running around the front all the time. And uh, he had a very heightened sense of the enemy's presence in his life and trying to affect him. And we could do with some more of that. Uh, we could do with greater sensitivity, I think, uh, to those things. Um, but Luther would always remind himself, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And he had to preach to himself, which is effective, and we ought to do that. But how much more is it that, you know, I just remember sitting in, a, in the pew out there, and Matt Schneider was preaching, and all he said, just as a sort of throwaway line when he was preaching, was, if you don't hear anything I say, hear this. Jesus is enough. 
I knew that. I believe that. But it just hit me like lightning. And I mean, the tears started rolling down my face. And it, it takes somebody else sometimes, and the Bible's big on this, to speak truth into our lives. And now is a really good time. Uh, I know that most of us are very reserved. And, and I grew up in a household that never complimented anybody for anything. And uh, I mean, even to the point where if somebody did something, my family was not Christian, but we were kind of Christian, which is the worst kind. And, uh, and so they, you know, somebody would say, hey, you did a really nice job on the Thanksgiving turkey. And from the other end of the table, somebody would say, they're but an unprofitable servant doing the bidding of the master, which is quoting Jesus, right? Uh, but not in the way that I think Jesus meant. Uh, and so there was always somebody there with a needle to pop a balloon in the family that I grew up in. And, uh, but I'm okay. And uh, I've already told my children that the first 40 hours of counseling are on me uh, when, when they get older. And I'm serious about that. Um, and so we actually need people to, to say, that's not right. That's not right. Um, you know, the, the, the biblical picture that, that I often hold in my mind is how Jesus knows this. And when Lazarus dies, you remember that, you know, toward the tail end of John's gospel. When Lazarus dies, uh, Jesus comes into town. And before he could get into Bethany, remember, Martha runs out to, to see him. And they engage in this conversation. And Jesus begins to say some very stark things to her. Do, your brother will live. I believe that my brother will live on the resurrection at the end of the day. Again, I know all this stuff, but then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not die, but they'll live. You see what he's Jesus is confronting the flow of Martha's heart. He's actually saying, I know you know, but you're not listening. You're not listening with the ears of your heart. And so I'm saying this to you outside of you. I'm preaching to you. But then when Mary comes along, Mary says the same exact thing that Martha says. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But what does Jesus say to Mary? Nothing. But responds with one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. Sometimes we just need someone to cry with us, right? We don't, we don't need the words. We need someone to cry with us. But the, it's the same principle just manifesting itself in two different ways of being a presence in somebody's life and speaking words of truth and encouragement into their life or just crying with them. And, and you know, uh, uh, my daughters and I have been talking a lot about, you know, is it okay to cry? Well, the answer is yes, of course it is. Now, I mean, we don't, you know, I realize how that can be taken to an extreme, uh, but, but it is okay uh, to enter into the flow of people's heart and not just confront the flow of people's heart. And so isolation has uh, told us a whole lot of lies about ourselves uh, that need to be recalibrated with God's truth, and we need to be speaking that to one another. Isolation from others uh, has also caused us to believe uh, things that are untrue about other people. Uh, it has uh, 
jaded us in how we respond uh, to other people. And right now, uh, I think that people are so amped up that we really are willing to believe the worst about people in, in such a way that is unhelpful and untrue. And our sensitivity meter <clears throat> has gone up when it was already bad enough. Uh, you know, I, I kind of laugh about it, but uh, when we were in Buford, Lauren um, uh, just randomly thought, oh, I'm going to drop something off at, you know, I have this, it's been in the car forever, I'm going to drop it off at so-and-so's house, who's such a close friend. And when Lauren pulled up to the house, the driveway was filled with the cars of Lauren's friends and this person's friends. And so all the friends were there except Lauren. And she just shoved it in the mailbox and came home and burst into tears and said, you know, this is... I thought they were my friends. They're all gathering without me and all that. Well, it turned out they were organizing a party for Lauren that uh, they didn't want to know. Uh, but man, we're really quick to think they hate me or I hate them because this is what I think uh, of them. And so I wonder if, um, if we are really... Um, if we know that to be true about ourselves, understanding that the truth about other people might not be what we think it is. And that if you're struggling, it's pretty safe to say that everybody else is struggling too. And I'm not just talking about benefit of the doubt, but I'm talking a little bit about what I mentioned last week, where people who, um, where people who will get upset about something in their life and and you'll think well that that's a little bit of an overreaction but it turns out they're actually upset about something much deeper so the person who says i don't like the changes that have taken place at the advent i don't like being outside i don't like um i don't like what's happening inside and i get the whole covid thing but i just don't like it and i'm just not going to go well, I had a conversation with someone who was saying those things, and I began to probe, and after 45 minutes of talking, this person finally said, I don't want to die alone. I'm afraid of dying alone. And that was the real issue. That was the real issue. It actually had nothing to do, I mean, they may not have liked it, uh, but that's not, you know, that, that's not what they were losing sleep over. And so I think we need to check ourselves a little bit about believing lies about other people. And, and figuring out how even people that we don't care for very much, how can we care for them during this difficult time and, and realize their own humanity and their own brokenness. I think the isolation also has led us to believe in, um, believe things about the world that are untrue. Um, and right now, um, when I read the news, I don't know what to think. I really don't know what to think. And, and I, I mean, one thing that I will say about the world is that um, it's broken and marred by sin and original sin is evenly distributed, right? There's, there's, not, there's not some place that has just a little bit of sin and this place has a whole lot of sin. It's, um, you know, it, Las Vegas isn't the worst place on the face of the earth. Um, and that's hard for us in Birmingham uh, to believe, but it's everywhere and it's evenly distributed. And when it comes to uh, to the news right now, I mean, I think that we're all at our wits at our wits end. And the only way that I can compare it is 
to uh, biblically is I really think um, right now that we need to be able to see the media for what they are, which are the prophets of Baal. Um, and uh, media is telling us what they want us to know. And so if you are a news junkie like I am, Read a lot of things, right? Don't just go to one source. Read, read a lot of things and read things that you disagree with and uh, try, to, try to get to the, to the bottom uh, of, the, of the matter um, because what ends up happening is um, uh, we end up where we are politically, right? Which is just a complete and total uh, mess and um, is disheartening on all kinds of, uh, of le- levels. And so... Um, that and, you know, I, I was challenged by someone the other day that said, you know, I wonder if people were to give as much time and energy to getting the gospel out as they are to getting their version of the truth. That's a whole other concept, right? Their version of the truth. Getting their version of the truth out. What would the world look like? What would the world look like? So we need to be careful that in our isolation that we're not believing in lies about ourselves, about others, and about the world. Point three that I've learned. Stir craziness can lead us to bad decisions spiritually. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've challenged people on, uh, especially when we were out in the parking lot, I had a number of people come up to me and say, I think that, you know, I'm not an Adventer, but this has been amazing. This has just been so, lo- and I'm blessed by it. And so I'm using this time during COVID as the opportunity to leave my church and come join your church. And I know that they think I'm crazy, but I, I say to them, if you are currently attending a church that preaches the gospel, don't leave. Now, there may be other, like, of, of course, if there's some sort of issue of, of abuse or, or uh, broken trust or any number of things, uh, I get that. But, but now's not the time to be making those decisions. And, and you should go talk to your pastor about, about that. Now, if you're attending a church that's not a gospel preaching church, we've got a pew for you. Uh, come right on in. We're very happy uh, to do that. Uh, but... I would caution anybody uh, who would want to join the Advent or anyone who would want to leave the Advent right now over various and sundry issues to just give it a minute. (laughs) Uh, Just give it a minute because right now what we need is our church family where our relationships are and where intimacy has been built and where trust has been established to kind of get us through this time. And and it may be that God is leading you to a different uh, fellowship, uh, but when you go there, you know, will you actually know the congregation? Are you joining the congregation? Or are you joining a program? Are you joining the way that they do things on Sunday morning? Because there's a big difference. I mean, the latter is not to be scoffed at at all. I mean, at the Advent, we certainly believe in doing things well. Uh, but it's the former that makes the difference. And there are plenty of churches out there that allow you to remain isolated and unto yourself, even during times outside of COVID. And they put on a big production and they do... Real, do uh, really big things, uh, but but the idea of the church being the family of God simply isn't there. It's simply not there from Sunday to Sunday. And so stir craziness can lead us into bad decisions spiritually, especially when it comes to moving churches right now. And I, I you know, I, I feel this way uh, too, because some of you may be feeling it, um, and I guess mine's a little bit more spiritual than yours simply because of my line of work, but... Um, 
the number of people who, who really want to quit their jobs right now, uh, the number of people who, who are kind of looking uh, for other work. And, um, and, and so if, if that temptation is, is, is there, there might be really good reasons of doing that. But just be sure that it's not the result of the cabin fever that's, that's plaguing us. To actually give it over to God and say, God, what would you have me do in this situation? Don't be driven by circumstance. Be driven by God. My stir craziness has also led me to a desire to be delivered from COVID for selfish reasons. <laughs> um, I have to be very careful that my prayer, when I say, God, please deliver us from COVID, which is real, right? I mean, it, who wants to keep this train going? <laughs> Nobody wants this to continue. And yet, and yet, when I pray that, there's a part of me that's saying, God, deliver us from this terrible plague so that I can get back to doing my life. Right, that's that's where I am, and I feel a little bit in John chapter six. Remember when Jesus fed the five thousand, and then he got on got in the boat, and uh, well, he didn't get in the boat. Uh, they the disciples got in the boat, and Jesus walked on water out to them, and they got to the other side, and everybody that was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee came over to the western side, and they started coming after Jesus again. And Jesus said, "You're following after me." Because of the loaves and the fishes, not because of me. And so is my desire for COVID to be delivered, to be delivered from COVID for the glory of God and for the good of his people? Or is it just so that I can get on an airplane again and go wherever I want to go so that I don't have to wear a mask every time I go out? So that, so that, so that, so that I can actually get back to my normal routine where I can escape my family at work. Right? Whatever it might be, we need to be very careful about that and really question what it is uh, that is motivating us to pray for deliverance from COVID because we may be praying for selfish reasons. Another thing that I've learned, uh, I need friends and maybe some better friends. Uh, somebody told me a couple weeks ago that the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was that he had 12 close male friends. Um, and, uh, if you're a man, uh, you get that. Um, but you've got to have some sort of outlet, you know, in the West, especially when it comes to not the West, but America, I mean, in some sense, I want this to come across the right way. Your spouse is your best friend. You have a shared life together. I get that, but that's not at the expense of other friendships. I mean, I remember being married very early on and some of the very difficult struggles that Lauren and I had, and we just thought we can work this out together when actually we needed other people outside of the relationship to help us work that out. I needed to be able to talk to other men. Lauren needed to be able to talk to other women, if for any other reason than to just give us perspective. And I think that's what's happening right now. Um, and we need friends that are going to push us in uh, the right direction. Uh, some of us are getting a taste in marriage of what retirement will be like. Um, Beaufort, South Carolina, if you go on Bay Street, there are an unbelievable number of art galleries on this street in this little wee town. And most of them are owned and operated uh, by 
wives whose husbands have retired and they got to get out the house. They just like they got to figure out something. And, um, you know, they, they say to her, you've got to get involved in boys and girls. Club. You've got go get involved. You've got to do something. And um, part of that is healthy. Uh, but part of it, too, is the reality that uh, for many marriages, husbands and wives live parallel lives. And if anything bonds them together, it's their children. But when the children leave home and retirement sets in, they worry what it looks like to now have one life together again where the children aren't a part of it, where you don't have the escape hatch of a job or whatever it might be, when, of course, all along you should have been living life together as one, right? And marriages have to work really, really hard uh, to do that. And, and I think that one of the ways in which it's helpful is for other men to find godly men to be able to talk about this stuff, how do I love my wife better? How do I love her in the way that, that not only God has called me to, but how do I love her in the way she needs to be loved? And because I'm, I love my wife and I'm pretty, you know, I, I want to love my wife, uh, but sometimes the way that I love her is not the way that she wants to be loved. Right? I'm an acts of service guy. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll hang up pictures. I'll do whatever. I'll build a chicken coop. I'll do all that kind of stuff and very happy to do it. Um, but Lauren is actually a quality time person. And let me tell you what I hate, a tandem kayak. I don't want to do any quality time. Like, that's the last thing I want to do is, is, is that kind of stuff. I've got, I've got time, and yet in order for me to love Lauren, I need to find a way to spend quality time with her. And that means sacrifice on my part, and that needs brothers coming alongside me and encouraging me. And in the same way, whatever Lauren deals with with me, um, she needs uh, plenty of stuff. Uh, she needs other women to come alongside her and encourage her in that. And even just sometimes to say, you're not alone. This is the way that most marriages are. And so if you think you're the only person struggling right now, you're wrong. And I'm here to support you. So that's, that's kind of the negative things I've learned. And I know I'm, I'm short on time, but I'm gonna, uh, I've, got to, I've got positives, positive things that I've learned. Positive things that I've learned during COVID, difficulty can bring out the best in us. Difficulty can bring out the best in us. Uh, not that we think better of ourselves than we ought, but, uh, but we have a realistic assessment of ourselves. Right? We, we actually find where we're able to help and to excel, and that when we do see our blind spots, that we're actually willing to do something about them. We're actually willing to make the effort, which I hope most of y'all have done because, you know, when we thought that this was going to be two or three months, remember when we were all going to have a big celebration at Easter? Um, you know, we're in this for the long haul, and I think that most of us were really willing to give it the college try, and then when we realized this is going to go on for a while, we just kind of went, you know, just sort of backed out, didn't know what to do, didn't want to do much of anything. And yet, uh, during COVID, I I've seen some really beautiful things in, in the life of others. And people have really stepped up to the plate ministry-wise. And I've had some really lovely, fruitful conversations, and um, which leads me to the next point, which is a positive. Uh, isolation can help us realize and see what's really important. I mean, have, how many of y'all are spending more time on the phone than you used to? Calling people that you haven't talked to in a very long time just to kind of catch up. 
how many are you taking time to do things that you normally uh, wouldn't take time to do? Um, I think COVID is adding contrast to the system that allows us to take a step back and say, you know what? I don't need to be doing all that I was doing before. But you have to work. And I think a lot of us want to figure out a way that those things that are the good things that are coming out of COVID, we're already starting to feel the pressure to go back to the way that things were, which is not where we want to go. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about? So for you and for me, it certainly was having meals with my family. Just actually preparing a meal as a family and sitting down and, and not feeling like we have to rush off to the next thing or that there's something else competing. And already we are having to try as hard as we can to try to maintain something as simple as eating together as a family. And it will require a lot of hard work uh, for each of us to be able to hold on to those positive things that have come out of COVID. And just as a, as a footnote, um, how is this true of our church family? So if that's true of our family, that certain positive things and certain positive perspectives have come out uh, of COVID for our own personal family life, what has COVID done for the good in our own church family life? And if good things have come out of it, it means that like our families at home, we're going to have to work really hard to maintain those things. Um, and and that, any number of things. I think the vulnerability that's been created by COVID, I think the sort of spirit of freedom and openness, like when we were out in the parking lot, that was kind of fun, right? I was, if we had done it for a couple more weeks, I was expecting sort of bonfires and grills. Like I was waiting for the tailgate effect. Uh, to, and it, it was just... It was almost celebratory and it was good to see each other and you could kind of walk around and talk and, hey, how are you? I'm so glad to see you. And uh, when we move back inside, that becomes a little bit more difficult. One, the architecture, right? You can't, you know, climb over pews and things like that. And, and we're kind of manhandling you in a sense to get you in and out. And so we actually have to work extra hard in order to sort of maintain that, that interaction and that relational side of ministry. And that's just one example of many that we're going to have to work hard here at the Advent to be able to maintain. Stir craziness can lead us into deeper places spiritually. I found that to be true of me. I've come to uh, grasp more deeply the reality of God's presence and his sovereignty, that he really is in control and that he really is Lord and that he really is with us. Uh, it's shown me the desperate need uh, that I have for Jesus Christ. Uh, because when uh, you're at your rope's end, there's God. Uh, I've, I've noticed that, and I mentioned it in the sermon this morning about, um, you know, normally I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that scoffs at Christmas music on the radio and Christmas decorations going up too early, but I was pumped to see the Bromberg Christmas tree. I just, because, you know, the song is right. We need a little Christmas, right? We need a little, why? Not because of trees and presents and but the reminder that God came into this world to save us, right? It's hope, right? There in this little tiny manger in Bethlehem, this little baby's born and he's the hope of the world. 
And because he came and dwelt amongst us, the whole world has changed. It's totally different. And when you hold COVID up to that, it pales in comparison. In the grand scheme of things, in the grand idea of history, right? Christian history is not circular. It's, it's linear. It's, it's going someplace. It's the return of Jesus Christ. That's where all this is headed. And when you start thinking about that, all of a sudden, yes, COVID is really difficult, but then you begin to think, but praise God, he's still on his throne. You know, that old Gaither hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Stir craziness uh, has helped me to see uh, the desperate need that I have to love and spur one another on. Really to reach out and take time and to encourage one another and, and just to say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about you. And, um, and even I, I've been amazed, uh, and, and I'm not belittling this at all, uh, but the number of people who have said, I love you to you, where I was caught a little bit off guard. I'm like, well, I've only known you for a couple of weeks, but I love you too. I've only met you online. Um, uh, but isn't that funny? But, you know, I mean, people have, people have opened up in, in such a way that they realize that I, I need the Lord ultimately, but, but I need brothers and sisters too. Uh, it's also showed me the reality uh, that of the desperate need that we have uh, to proclaim the gospel. Right? That's the answer. Right? Jesus is the answer to, to all of this. And that's not trite. Uh, that's not tried at all. As I talk to you about all the things that I've struggled with, I challenge anyone to say, well, you can sort all of that stuff out without Jesus. Because you can't. You just can't. You can't make sense of COVID. You can't make sense of the world. You can't tell truth from lie. Uh, you, you can't have any assurance of who you are in in the world in which you live. You, you need a justification, right? And any other justification outside of Jesus Christ is going to leave you lacking and is going to lead you to all kinds of things that are just going to make it worse. And so there's a desperate need right now uh, to proclaim uh, the gospel. So that's kind of what I'm learning uh, these days. You know, just kind of light stuff, little stuff. And uh, <laughs> my poor kids, uh, they're, they're getting... I took Lily out to dinner last night and, uh, and she said, you're not going to talk about anything heavy, are you? And I said, yes, I am actually. Where do you stand with the Lord Jesus? And, um, and we talked about that. But, uh, but, but, you know, it really has opened up the freedom to have those conversations and to really go there. And so I, I hope that even in the midst of all the negative things that you're learning during, during COVID, uh, if you watched how I did that, Jesus redeems all of them. Jesus redeems all of them. So we can look at it one way and say, well, that stinks. Uh, or we can say, actually, in the midst of this death, Jesus promises resurrection. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, as we continue to sojourn uh, through this time, we pray that uh, we would know you, love you, and serve you. And God, that you would impress upon us by your spirit, your great love for us, and that we belong to you. And no one, no thing can snatch us out of your hand that your firm grip of grace with nail-pierced hands holds on to us and will never let us go. And Lord, even as we try to squirm away from you sometimes, Lord, we thank you that you're the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. We feel it. Lord, we feel it. But Lord, we pray that even in the midst of this despair and in the midst of this difficulty, that we would remember that not only does a light shine over Bethlehem, 
But Lord, uh, there is going to come a day when you will set all things to rights and that you will rule as a great king over this your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 